This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Donna Chavis. Thank you, Sid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Messianic Vision. I'm your host, Donna Chavis, and you are going to be so glad that you have joined us today. Our guest is a longtime television and radio personality. He's a best-selling author and publisher. He serves as chief executive officer of Skywatch TV, which is known for its breaking news, its in-depth investigative reports about prophecy, conspiracies, and the supernatural, and literally the list goes on. On and on. So please welcome Thomas Horn. Hi, Tom. Hi, Donna. Great to be on with you. Well, we haven't heard you in a, in a little while. I know you've been busy, 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 so thank you for being back with us. And I want to start off a little differently today, Tom. I want to start with a scripture that is basically the basis about what we're going to be talking about today. Would you start with us there on Revelation chapter 8? Sure, Revelation chapter 8. Uh, and specifically verses 10 through 11, where it says, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter, end quote. Wow. <laughs> well, that that's uh, pretty intriguing, isn't it? And I know this scripture, as a lot of them do in the book of Revelation, brings up a lot of interesting questions. So I want to do this, just to give the listeners a little taste of what we're going to be talking about. I want to ask you a question, and then just you just give me a quick answer for now, and then we'll dig into it during the program. So you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Does the scripture in Revelation 8 describe an asteroid, in your opinion? Yes, absolutely does. And in fact, what's interesting is when it says the third angel sounded and there fell a great star, the word star there is the Greek astra or astron from which we make the word asteroid. Okay, here's another one for you. Is the Wormwood star from Revelation 8 already headed toward Earth? Well, in my opinion, it is now for a couple of reasons. One, because if we believe in Bible prophecy, then we know that all of the prophecies of the book of Revelation are headed toward Earth. Yes. Uh, but as we describe um, later, perhaps in this interview, there are other reasons that I believe that to be true. Okay. Here's one that a lot of people that follow like NASA and the, and the space programs and things like that will find interesting. Are NASA and high-level government officials aware of an asteroid that could be on a collision? course with our planet. Yeah, and in fact, as I got into the research in this book, I found that some of the top 100 scientific thinkers in the world believe that uh, NASA is in fact involved in a cover-up. Ooh, ooh. Now that's a big word we're going to talk about in just a little bit, a cover-up. Okay, another question, last one, and then we'll move on. Is that why President Trump sanctioned a, what you call a colossal increase to planetary defense. Yeah, we can talk about that during the program today. In fact, Congress approved 
funding for Donald Trump's Space Force and behind Space Force is not only, you know, a new kind of um, digital warfare with countries like China and Russia, but I think preparation behind the scenes for the coming of Wormwood. <laughs> well, that's a lot of information. So, Tom, you're going to answer these questions a little further and even more on today's program. So, uh, first of all, why did you write the book, The Wormwood Prophecy? I became very interested in this uh, earlier this year and didn't expect to be. And it literally grew out of a metaphysical experience that I've had on a few occasions in my life. And when I use the term metaphysical, I don't mean that in a new age uh, sense. I mean meta, beyond physical, mm-hmm. natural, uh, as the Bible would define it. And, you know, Donna, you happen to know, and Sid knows, and some of your other ministry team friends, that it was over 45 years ago when I was a very young uh, Christian. I was desperate to be used in ministry. I mean, I was literally begging God (laughs) every day that he would allow me to be used in ministry. And I came home uh, from work one day, went to bed that evening, and the next thing I know, I am standing in front of a very brilliant white light. Interestingly, more uh, modern uh, research into what people call near-death experiences, and and quite often people see themselves standing in front of this brilliant white light. Well, anyway, before any of that information was out there, that's exactly what I saw. And somehow in my mind, I knew that I was standing in front of God. I also knew that he had told me some things, and that he had also said that it was time for me to go back now, and I would not remember what it was that he had told me. And the last thing I recall is I was saying, please, don't let me forget. Please don't let me forget. And all of a sudden, it was as if I had fallen out of an airplane backwards. (laughs) And with my back towards the earth, I'm just falling through space. I see the brilliant light and everything moving away from me very quickly. Uh, The next thing I know, I literally see the roof of my house go around me, and I fall like a plop on the bed. Uh, now I set up on the bed, I took in this deep breath, <gasps> like that, uh, and now I was no longer in what the Bible would call a night vision. Uh, I was no longer in a, a deep dream state or whatever, you know, in whatever other ways people might think of that, but now I was awake, and I'm sitting up in bed trying to collect my thoughts when it dawns on me that my beautiful young wife, Nita, Uh, is sitting up on the bed next to me, and she is sobbing. Uh, And I turned and I looked at her, and I said, Babe, what's going on? What's the matter? And it takes her a few moments to collect herself. And finally, she describes to me how she had woke up middle of the night around 2 a.m. That's an interesting thing because this always happens around 2 a.m. But uh, And she had found me dead. I had no breath. I had no heartbeat. I had no pulse. Uh, And she had spent quite a bit of time, actually. She thinks maybe as long as 15 minutes, which is impossible for a person to be dead that long and then to be revived in the scientific mind. But she had been beating on me, trying to resuscitate me, couldn't. And then finally I came back from where I was, and she began explaining to me uh, how she had found me. Now, make a long story short, the next day I went to my pastor, uh, and I told him what had happened. 
Uh, and I learned that day why the King James Bible says not to give that which is holy to dogs or to cast your pearls before swine, not to say that my pastor was a dog or a pig, uh, but I totally figured out that day uh, why you got to be careful when supernatural things, which is what the Sid Roth program in your ministry focuses on, yes. when those kind of things happen, you have to be careful who you share that information with, because many people, perhaps even the majority, really don't understand or can appreciate yes. the difference between this reality and this other side of reality, the supernatural uh, world. And so what happened was after that experience, I decided to just close it up, not share it with anybody. And that pretty much has been, uh, you know, my approach to this my whole life, is my family knows about it, one or two very um, close confidants, but otherwise I have not shared it with anybody. It was actually Sid Roth uh, and the program It's Supernatural that drew me out a couple of years, a few years back, mm -hmm. uh, that wanted me to tell uh, this testimony, and finally I agreed to do it. And that was the very first international program in which I ever spoke of this publicly. But the, the bottom line is, uh, this is something that has been going on uh, my adult life, not very often, just a few times. But in every case, I'm always, I go to bed, I'm not expecting anything to happen, and I get drawn into, to use the term, a vivid dream is an understatement. <laughs> this is a different reality altogether. Uh, in fact, when I come back out of it, I always feel like I'm in a very muted state. The idea of our senses only being, you know, sight, smell, hearing, taste. Um, that other reality is so much more vivid that it makes everything here pale. It does make it feel like we're living in a matrix, like we're living in some kind of closed-in reality uh, absent of a much broader uh, reality. But in any case, what happens is I go to bed, and all of a sudden I'm drawn into a revelation, into a night vision. Everything is three-dimensional. Everything is vivid colors. It's not like a dream at all. It's something entirely different. Uh, and then I'll wake up, I write down what I've seen, and every single time so far, without failure, it has come to pass exactly as I have seen it. You said when you were gone, when you were in this, this place before this shining throne, this light, that when, when you came back, you felt like that God had downloaded some insights to you, sort of like looking at a map, some information that, as you were just saying, that he would send back to you uh at times of his choosing. That's exactly what it was. And in fact, after my pastor, uh, so many years, 45 plus years ago, uh, told me he thought that maybe I'd ate too many chili beans <laughs> a bit. I just kept it to myself, but I was praying every single day, every day praying, God, you know, uh, please, you know, what, what is the meaning behind this? Because it was so dynamic and real to me but I couldn't make any sense out of it. Why would God tell you something and then say you're not going to remember? I just didn't get it at all. Mm -hmm. I'm a really young Christian, right? Right. For the first time in my life, I was actually reading through the Bible. I had never read the Bible in my life. I'm reading through the Bible book by book for the first time. Um, and I came uh, to the book, this about four weeks later, I come to the book of Job, Job chapter 33. 
And this was a complete logos rhema. Uh, when the word becomes something more than printed words and text, it becomes alive. Yes. The word comes alive. Uh, I'm reading through the Bible in my devotions in the morning before I'm going to go to work. And Job 33, my eyes fall starting on verse 14, and it says this. It says, For God speaks once, yea, twice, yet man perceives it not in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed. Then he opens the ears of men and sealeth their instructions, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man, end quote. Wow. The moment I read that, even as a, an embryonic Christian, I completely got it. The light came on. I totally understood that he had sealed information within me that would be important later on uh, in life. And why would he not let me remember? He, he says two different reasons here. He says, number one, to withdraw man from his purpose. Mm -hmm. and, and we know that as a young Christian, had God allowed me to understand that someday I would have the privilege of knowing people like Donna Chavis and Sid Roth and being on its Supernatural and all that stuff, that I would have aimed at it. I, I would not have gone through life like I needed to, all of the hard knocks and the school of education <laughs> and all that, right? I would have just aimed at it and done everything I could do to make it happen. So he withdraws man from his purpose because God is going to take us through life and hone our character and qualify us, actually, where, to be uh, where we're going to be later on in life. And the other thing he says is to hide pride from man. Yes. That's the other part of this, is as a young believer, had I looked forward into the future and saw myself as a publisher and on television, having my own television program and all the things that I would be doing, uh, I would have been tempted at least to be lifted up in pride and to have thought of myself as more than I should. So there is definitely a biblical precedent mm -hmm. for this phenomenon. I never forget the first time I talked about this on It's Supernatural with Sid Roth. And uh, before we went on the program, Sid was asking me some questions about it. And I remember telling him, I do not consider myself to be a prophet and Sid uh, looked at me and grinned, and he said, that's what prophets always say, right? <laughs> uh, but the truth is, I, I don't see myself as a prophet, and I really don't see this as, like, defined in the New Testament as the gift of prophecy. This is something different. And in the Greek, later on I discovered this, in the Greek, there's actually a word called ecstasia. Uh, now, you know, we make the word ecstasy, from that, but that's in the modern, you know, uh, English lingo, that's really not a good term. Uh, in the New Testament Greek, it, it means it's something beyond normal. Uh, for instance, when um, uh, Peter, in the book of Acts chapter 10, it says he fell into a trance. Uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I was caught up into the third heaven, whether I was in the flesh or out of the flesh, I do not know. And he starts talking about what he had saw. That's ecstasia. That's mm, yes. kind of a thing. But it does have to do, it's related to the gifts, but it has to do more with revelation. And in my life, definitely, yes. it, it dates back to when God sealed this information within me that at later points in life, uh, he would make manifest. Now, I was going to, I'll give this quick example. Um, 
uh, how this has always come to pass. 2010, uh, I go to bed, once again, not thinking anything, once again at right around 2 a.m. in the morning. And this was a very brief vision. All I saw was these very, very dark clouds rising up over the Vatican. Um, And at that point in my life, I didn't really think a whole lot about the Vatican. I was working on a book, and so one might say, well, you're you're working on this book with Chris Putnam, Petros Romanus, that's what caused this. But we weren't talking about, um, uh, at that time, talking about uh, Pope Benedict putting dates on his resignation, anything like that. I see these dark clouds rising over the Vatican. Uh, Also, by the way, I hear what almost sounds like a, a very large truck motor or something rumbling in the background. It was really loud. That doesn't make any sense to me yet. I think someday it will. But it's all very eerie and spooky. Suddenly I wake up. I sit up in bed. I start writing down what I had uh, seen. And as I'm writing, the Lord literally reveals to me that Pope Benedict XVI is going to resign, and he even gives me the date. He's going to resign in April of 2012. Now, recall, that was the second show that I did with Sid. I talked about that publicly. And ironically, Chris Putnam did not want me uh, giving that date. He did not want me saying that Benedict was going to resign in April of 2012 because he felt if it didn't happen, it was going to discredit all of our other work. Yes, yes, of course. So I'm out there publicly. People can YouTube that and watch the programs saying that because I knew in the same way that I know what I'm talking about with Wormwood, I knew that this was going to happen. But now, Tom, this was something very unusual. I mean, the the popes, they do not resign. I mean, it had been centuries and centuries before this had even been into play. Yeah, in fact, I was getting, uh, at the time, I remember it was one of the programs that I did. It It might have even been Sid Roth. It had a lot of wide exposure and I set that date, April 2012, Benedict's hmm. going to resign. And I got all these emails. Some of them were actually from Catholic friends, uh, but they emailed and they said, you have no idea what you're talking about. Popes do not resign, uh, and in, they die in office. And in fact, that had been true for over 500 years, uh, that that had not happened. So in other words, Uh, I really went out on a limb, and the probability was near minus zero that what I was talking about was going to happen. But then what happened? So uh, the year 2012 came and went. Pope Benedict did not publicly turn in his resignation. And now I was really getting feedback. (laughs) Like I said, see, you're so stupid, you're bogus, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, But then, February 28, 2013, the Vatican announces that Pope Benedict XVI has resigned. He has stepped down. But what's more important was that same day, the El Observatorio Romano, which is the Vatican's news media outlet, they gave an interview to the New York Times in which they uh, admitted that Pope Benedict had actually officially resigned before the Roman Curia, the Vatican government, uh, and that he had done that after he returned from a trip in April of 2012, and that they, uh, the cardinals had been keeping it secret, 
they immediately, in April of 2012, started remodeling a building that the nuns had been using at St. Peter's Square uh, to turn it into an apartment that Benedict was going to live in. They go into all of these details in the New York Times uh, article. Uh, and so then I got to tell you, Donna, then my phone was ringing off of the hook. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and, and I'm an MSNBC. CNN begged me to come on their program. They wanted to know who was your insider at the Vatican, who gave you information that nobody anywhere except for a few cardinals inside the Vatican government had. Uh, and I laughingly to this day say I couldn't tell them because if I told them it was the Holy Spirit, they'd really be <laughs> right? But the point is, this has happened on a few occasions in my life. And when it has happened, I know the difference isn't even close between when this happens and I'm back in that place where the what God revealed to me over 45 years ago, the library of information, I don't even know how vast it is, but a piece of it will be opened up as if we pull a book off of a shelf on what he has shown me open, and it plays out literally like a, a full-scale Hollywood movie. It just plays out in front of me. And when I wake up, I write down what I saw, and, and, and we don't have time on this program. There are other things. Uh, my son came to me not long ago with a letter that I had written to the Oregon District of the Assemblies of God uh, back in the 1980s, in which I told them things that were going to happen, including the death of a young man. And it happened exactly as I had said, and the young man was, in fact, killed. Um, and so uh, now I have to tell you that parts of this, are still unfolding for me. It's like it's like pieces in a puzzle, and I can't yet see the full picture. So I've quite often wondered, you know, what in the world does the resignation of Pope Benedict have to do with, you know, the bigger picture of where we're going? Uh, why would I have known that? How could I have accurately predicted that? And others have said, well, it's possibly because Pope Benedict, that entire event, is such an internationally well-known uh, set of circumstances that were highly uh, unlikely that anybody can go and watch you prophesying this in 2011, following the vision from 2010, uh, and they can see for themselves that you made that. So what that does then is it tends to qualify uh, me as an individual so that when I do say X, Y, Z is going to happen, people might pay attention. Now, what has it got to do with Wormwood? Well, that's because, once again, I went to bed as usual. Around 2 a.m., I suddenly entered in, and this time to the most vivid and most terrifying dream state uh, ever, in which I saw what looked like a horned, fiery uh, serpent, hundreds of feet wide, way up into the heavens, plunging through the heavens toward Earth at this incomprehensible speed. Um, and then my point of view suddenly changed. You know how dreams are. You see things from all these different angles, and you, as your brain assimilates information, suddenly now I'm up above this terrifying monster, and I could see that, in fact, it was not a dragon, but, in a, but a large space rock, um, an asteroid. 
And due to the way that it was rotating through space and the way the light of the sun was playing off the contours of this huge stone, it made it appear as if it was undulating or swimming serpent-like past the stars toward Earth. So I'm looking at this, it's moving towards Earth, and then I'm back on Earth. And for whatever reason, for me, this part of what I saw was the part that got my heart racing. Uh, I'm back on Earth now. I'm on top of a tall hill somewhere, uh, and I am running as fast as I can possibly run. Somehow in my mind, I know that this space rock is hurtling towards Earth behind us, but it's to my back. And, I, and there's people everywhere, everywhere. And they are crying and screaming. Some of them are down on their knees, and they are crying out to God to deliver us from what is coming. Then, suddenly, I hear this incredible boom. Uh, the earth is literally vibrating and shaking beneath our feet. All of us fall over. You can't stand up. The earth is shaking too hard. I hear cracking sounds. I don't know if this is the mantle of the earth. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but it's a terrible sound. And in my mind, I know that this large rock has plunged into the Pacific Ocean. How I knew that, I don't know, but I did. It's plunged into the Pacific Ocean. This massive form uh, sends a whole sequence of tsunamis, hundreds of feet into the air. And now that these, these tsunamis are slamming into the coastal terrains of regions across nearly half of the world. Now, I look behind me. I turn and look behind me, and now I see this massive wall of water coming up over the top of this hill behind me, and I'm watching, and I know that there is no way we're going to escape this. There's no way we can outrun this, and I'm in my mind, I'm just resolved that we are all, all getting ready to drown. We're all going to die, uh, but I can also see the atmosphere up above us is being infused with scorched particles. This is really important because I'm not a scientist, and I don't know one thing about what would happen if uh, a rock like Apophis, which we will talk about, were to strike the ocean. I know nothing, but I am literally observing, literally, the science of what would happen uh, if this took place. So all of this overheated particles of water, this aerosol and vapor, is being blown up into the atmosphere. Now, right as the water that's coming up over the top of this mountain is reaching where me and all these other people are at, my point of view changes as if um, something like large hands, not that I saw them, but that's what it felt like, come down underneath my arms and raise me way up into the air. And now I'm looking down on the earth, and I can see this blistering culmination of moisture and extreme heat that's rising up from the boiling waters out of the Pacific Ocean uh, into Earth's atmosphere. It ignites a whole series of high-velocity hurricanes uh, across the hemispheres of the world. Uh, there's so much debris. There's two impacts, actually. And so I later was trying to determine, is this what's called a binary asteroid, where it's basically two very large rocks, that are caught in each other's um, gravitational field, or was it the breakup of a rock like Apophis, although Apophis might be thought of as a binary asteroid. It has a small companion. But is it something that breaks apart as it enters the Earth's atmosphere and one part of it hits the ocean and one part of it hits the Earth? 
Uh, all I know is as I'm watching, simultaneous to what's going on with the sea and the waters, a whole series of uh, tornadoes are whipping now across the earth. And all this debris uh, is being released both from the initial impact of this giant rock, this asteroid, and then the other devastation related to it, the tornadoes and, and hurricanes and all that, all of it being raised up into the Earth's atmosphere. And somehow in my mind, I know that this is being carried by the upper atmospheric uh, wind systems, air systems. It's being carried out, you know, all over the Earth. And now, all of a sudden, darkness starts covering uh, the Earth. And in my mind, I know that this is going on for about a week, darkness covering the sky worldwide, the entire landscape is being pounded by hurricanes and atmospheric annihilation. And then, of course, as you know, dreams or visions are, now all of a sudden I'm maybe a week or more into the future, and I can see that the waters have finally settled, the storms have subsided, the sky is growing clear, and much of life on Earth was dead. It was right at that moment that I woke up. And I'm telling you, I was so terrified by this that I, I almost fell out of bed. I tried, I tried to set up so fast I almost fell off the bed onto the floor. I set up on the bed, I, and I keep a notepad next to me. I've learned to do this. Uh, and I grab my note. It's in the dark, but I grab my notepad. I know where the pen is right on top of it, and I'm going to start writing all this stuff down and turn the light on. And then it is literally as if somebody is in the room with me. Because whether this actually happened or whether it was just in my mind, I don't know. Like Paul, whether I was in the spirit, out of the spirit, I do not know. But it was, but something whispered a single word in my ear, and I heard this one word, apophis. Now, I knew that there was a god of chaos. I didn't at that time. I didn't even remember that it was an Egyptian god. But I knew that there was one of the ancient dragon chaos gods uh, that was called Apophis. That was all I knew about it. I didn't know anything else. Uh, I also knew that uh, NASA had named uh, an asteroid Apophis. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't know anything about that. And so immediately, you know, I got up, I went, I wrote down everything that then later on would become the book that you're talking about now, Wormwood. And I got on the Internet and I started doing research. I have two friends at uh, NASA. I also have a friend uh, that works at Ball Aerospace that has contracts with NASA. And I reached out to these people. One of them I don't know that well. The others I know very well. Um, and uh, started asking them questions about Apophis. And by the way, originally, one of them was actually in the book Apophis, Gave me a, he was part of what convinced me that NASA is involved in a cover-up with regards to the, the probability of Apophis striking the Earth in just nine-plus years from now. Uh, of all dates, Friday the 13th, um, April 2029, uh, he was one of the first ones that started giving me information, insider information, actually above-top-secret information. Um, and... I can verify this through your people at Charisma, who I allowed to publish this book. Um, they would tell you that his name was originally in the book and the information that he gave me. Um, but then, uh, during my uh, Branson 
conference, which was sold out, um, he showed up uh, just here a few months ago in Branson, Missouri. He showed up at our conference. He said, I got to talk to you. We went into a back room. I locked the door, went in there where it's secret. And I can't tell you what he was telling me, but he said, you have got to take my name out of the book immediately. And, and, and it was already in the book. They were already getting ready to send this to the printer. Um, and I said, why? And he explained to me that somehow the people at uh, NASA had learned what he had told me. And they had drawn him in front of an adjudicator, and they were threatening him uh, at a minimum with his job, his retirement, things like that, because he he holds above top secret security clearance, and he had given me privy information. Uh, So he could literally go to prison um, for what he had done. He said, you got to get my name out of the book. So I got a hold of Charisma, and they will verify this. And I said, oh, hold the press. Stop the presses. Hold the presses. We have got to get his name out, and we have got to strike from the book uh, everything that he told me. Uh, And so we did that. So the book that's out there in the public right now is missing some information, but uh, but it was only part of the information. That led me to, to understand that NASA is involved in a cover-up. There's other information in the book by by equally intelligent individuals connected to the astronomical communities that you know also verify what I'm talking about. My goodness, that <laughs> that is a lot to chew on. Now I know we're talking about this this very vivid dream, this revelation that you got in this dream. We're talking about some supernatural things here, but let's let's skip over to the science side real quick here and talk a little bit about Apophis. Now that is an actual identified asteroid, correct? Yeah. So um, so I get out of bed. And uh, I go in, I start writing down everything that I had saw in the vision, but then I got on the Internet, uh, and I'm typing in NASA, Apophis. I'm trying to just figure out, you know, what is this? What is it? Yes. Yeah. And what I learned was um, Apophis had been originally discovered in 2004. Uh, and it was the Kitt Peak Observatory, and by the way, there's a, there's a lot of different um, astronomy communities that work with NASA. NASA and their NEOWISE team, they are the biggest as far as mapping 164,000 known uh, asteroids in space. Some of those are considered to be near-Earth objects, so they're the ones that pose potential threats. Um, But, you know, the the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, the European Space Agency, all these agencies work together, but NASA and their NEOWISE team are the largest ones. So I went there, and uh, I and I learned from uh, their research that the diameter of Apophis is estimated to be approximately 370 meters or 1,200 feet across. So to put that into perspective for football, that is four NFL football fields across. It weighs an estimated 20 million metric tons. Uh, it is traveling at 28,000 miles an hour. And all of this is, is a, it's, Donna, it is a mind-bending mass and potential inertia velocity encounter that the average human can't even begin to fathom what something of that size traveling at that speed means if it were to impact the Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 
if, if it if it does impact Earth, NASA, by the way, their original calculations. I don't know that they've changed this, but their original calculations, uh, one of their mapping methodologies, said that if Apophis does strike the Earth, and at first, by the way, they did give it a higher probability that it's going to impact the Earth. Now, here's what's interesting: is because now NASA's out there and they're saying it's going to skim past the Earth in 2029, but it's not going to impact the Earth. But keep this in mind, even in their statement where they're, when they're saying it's going to skim past the Earth, they admit it's going to come so close that it's going to knock out the satellites that are in orbit around this world. I'm not sure, uh, Tom, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the phrase skim past. Are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, in skim, it, you, there's no possible way, and anybody in the astronomy community will admit this, you cannot determine that something that is going to come so close to the planet that it's, it's going to be visible in the daytime sky and knock out the satellites, they say there is no possible way, there is no methodology by which you can assertively state that that is not going to impact the Earth. There's just far too many things. It's going to be traveling tens of thousands of miles through space. It's like a pool ball moving across a pool table. It can come into contact with all kinds of other debris uh, in space. There's even effects like the Yarkovsky effect, which is a discovery that a Russian astronomer made years ago talking about the photons from the sun bouncing off of space rocks, how it can slowly move the trajectory of that space rock into a different trajectory. So there's no possible way. But let's just give them you know, the benefit of the doubt. Um, they do say, though, that if Apophis does strike the Earth, then their mapping methodology believes that it is going to come down somewhere along the coastlines of California and Mexico, so a very highly, densely uh, populated uh, area. If it hits the Earth, according to NASA, the impact is going to unleash a blast, the equivalent of over a billion tons of TNT. Now, to put that into perspective, that's an explosion larger than nearly all nuclear warheads on Earth today going off all at the same time in one area. Mm. Or, to, or to put it into another kind of perspective, that is equivalent to 65,000 of the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki that sunk the Japanese uh, mainland. So 65,000 Hiroshima bombs going off all at the same time. Bottom line is it would lead to at a minimum, tens of millions of deaths, but more likely billions of deaths, just from the initial impact, not counting, if you're, if you're not a prophecy believer, uh, the years of climate disruption uh, that would, of course, lead to, to other deaths across the world. So uh, we're, not, we're not necessarily talking about um, an Earth-ending event we are literally talking about what seems to be described in the book of Revelation chapter 8, where a third of the waters on earth are polluted and many, many people yes. die as a result of it. Yes. And, and Tom, why, if just in a nutshell, why would you say that, that you believe Apophis is biblical wormwood? Well, this is where it gets, I guess, subject to the listener. Um, I believe it, first of all, because I do believe in biblical prophecies. Mm -hmm. I believe that 
the Wormwood prophecy is going to happen at some point, and there is no escaping that it's going to happen. Um, but secondly, I believe it because so far, the few times in my life when I've been drawn back into that experience, and God has shown me something, just like with the resignation of Pope Benedict. It didn't matter how highly improbable, basically zero possibility yes. that it was going to happen. It doesn't matter. It did happen, and I talked about it before it happened. Uh, and that's really my only bona fide. I'm not really looking for anybody to substantiate or pat me on the back. I'm only, I guess I'm like, you know, an Old Testament prophet in the sense that I'm only saying what I saw. Yes. I do, I do believe, by the way, that it doesn't necessarily have to happen or that it can be delayed. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to happen in April of 2029. Right now, I believe with all of my heart that we are on course for the Wormwood prophecy to unfold in the, uh, in the person of Apophis um, in April of 2029, just a bit over nine years from right now. Um, but I also believe that there are ways by which that could be delayed. Wow. Wow. You know what? I'm going to stop you right there just for a moment and let everyone know and tell them about this extremely intriguing and enlightening resource that you have prepared for them, Tom. Uh, and they're not only going to get uh, your brand new book, The Wormwood Prophecy, but you've also prepared three exclusive audio teachings, and, and you have told us that it actually contains some information that's not in the book. So there will be additional information that is not found in the book, which means you will not be able to find this anywhere else. So be sure to get that today. And Sid will be here at the end of the program to tell you exactly how you can get the, the brand new book, The Wormwood Prophecy, and also the audio teaching series that Tom is preparing. Tom, on the cover of your book, it says, besides the title of the book, The Wormwood Prophecy, it says, NASA, Donald Trump, and a cosmic cover-up of end-time proportions. Whew, that is quite a statement. Now, exactly what are you talking about? I know we've mentioned cover-up a couple of times. What are we talking about here? Yeah, so besides my friend, who whose name had to be removed uh, from the book, and so there's a few of us, including the people at Charisma, that know the insider at NASA, <laughs> who was the first one uh, that told me there was a cover-up, uh, I had to take his name out. So I started doing this other research. And, and, and the more research I did, the bigger the picture became, and the more I became aware that right now there is actually uh, an international body of astronomers um, there are 70 members of this astronomical community, 70 nations, which is interesting, and we don't have time to talk about it, but 70 is very important in terms of uh, the Bible and the nations and how they were divided by God and so on. But uh, 70 nations, uh, they're all inside this community. And if you read the first chapter of my book, it actually begins with a, uh, a I'm going to put this in quotation marks, a fictional narrative. Uh, the book is nonfiction, but the very first and last chapters are a narrative. I'm storytelling, but I'm storytelling around some facts. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's faction, fiction based on fact. Um, and, uh, and so if anybody that's listening to this program has ever saw, for instance, the movie Deep Impact, 
uh, where you have a comet hurtling towards Earth. It could mean the end of all or much of life on Earth. And the U.S. government is keeping the threat under wraps. Why? Well, fear of public chaos that could lead to martial law, all of that, because people are going to be in a panic. And that is exactly what I saw, the whole world in a panic. Um, And so as long as they can, they're going to keep the cat under the bag until they no longer can do that. So people are going to read Chapter 1, and then they're going to get to Chapter 2, and now we're past the fictional narrative, and they're going to be tempted to sigh a breath of relief and say, whoo, that that that's not actually the truth. But then I say, but wait a minute, is it? And then I begin sharing significant reasons why I came to believe earlier this year that there are undisclosed facts uh, that uh, involves a cover-up, and yes, that even includes NASA. And I'm not alone in my conspiratorial thinking. And one of the very first individuals that I cite in the book is from the former chief technology officer at Microsoft, a uh, an, an astronomer and a scientist, a working scientist, uh, a physicist by the name of Nathan Mirvold. Now, this is important because Nathan, so far as I know, is certainly not a prophecy believer. He doesn't approach anything the same way I would be talking about it. And Nathan, his credentials are really undisputable. He is a true polymath. He is a working scientist. He's published original research in paleobiology, climatology, astronomy. He holds over 800 U.S. patents uh, that have been issued to him uh, and his uh, corporations. In fact, The Economist, which is a really uh, well-respected, peer-reviewed finance magazine, once described Mirvold as Bill Gates' second brain, (laughs) he is almost always on the A-list of the world's top 100 greatest scientific thinkers. So this guy uh, is due respect when he talks about something. And he he wrote an article. I mean, he wrote a paper, a peer-reviewed paper. It was published in, a, uh, in an astronomical peer-reviewed magazine. Um, the name of the article is long, but I'll give it to you in case somebody listening wants to go out and, and vet this for themselves. The name of the article, the paper, is called Near-Earth Object Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer Asteroid Analysis and Results. Wow. What a name, right? Yes. Uh, but, but in that paper... Uh, And this was only published this year in 2019, but in his paper, he goes almost full-on whistleblower uh, in that he warns that NASA has deliberately been misreporting the threat to Earth by asteroids like Apophis and other objects that are being tracked by their NEOWISE uh, team. And he uses very important language. You know, when scientists or academics use words. It's important to pay attention to the words they use because they are intentional. And what he says about NASA and their NEOWISE team, he says they have been behaving, quote, extremely deceptively with deliberate scientific misconduct in a cover-up of very real, potentially imminent space threats. Uh, so that paper, people can read it for themselves, but he goes on and on, and he says that the, the terms that he is using uh, the fact that he is calling misconduct in the Neowise paper, he says these these were not inadvertent. In other words, these were not just accidental oversights or mistakes in the reporting. They are intentional. He says they are deliberate choices being made repeatedly by the Neowise team uh, over the last few years 
And then basically he comes down to the point, what is it that they are trying to cover up? What are they trying to hide from the public? And his reporting, by the way, was in tandem with my friend at NASA. But it doesn't matter. When people read the book, he's only one. There are numerous others. Uh, Harry Lear, who's a an academic uh, who wrote letters to Donald Trump as soon as Donald Trump was elected president, begging him to have the uh, scientists that work for the government recalculate specifically the trajectory involving Apophis because he, he believes that Apophis is going to crash into the earth in less than 10 years from now, April 13, 2029. Uh, and uh, it's 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 kind of sad, actually, to read his letter to the president because he basically ends by saying there's nothing we can do about it anyway, but it would be better for the public to know. Oh, my goodness. I want to move on because there's a couple more things that we definitely want to talk about today before we have to go. But we mentioned President Trump in the beginning and what he is doing as far as, as the Space Force. Uh, what is the Space Force and why? Yeah, so the idea of a space force, this isn't something new. Uh, this actually started actually back under President Ronald Reagan, and to some extent before that, um, the idea that, you know, eventually space is going to become part of warfare. And whoever could dominate space may be able to dominate um, through space-based weapons technology, the other nations of the world. That's what uh, Ronald Reagan was more concerned with. Uh, recently, though, uh, and, and all the language around both Donald Trump's presentation as well as the uh, approval by Congress, billions of dollars being set aside uh, for funding the fifth branch of the U.S. military, the Space Force, uh, includes a lot of language around NEO, near-Earth objects mm -hmm. like Apophis. Uh, so that definitely is on their public radar. They're admitting part of what they're doing has to do with trying to mitigate uh, some of these near-Earth object space threats. Because why? If an asteroid or a comet, a celestial threat, if something like that was headed towards the planet, then early detection, monitoring, might be the first step towards uh, defense. But that's only one reason why this was on Donald Trump's radar. Anybody listening to this program knows I'm telling the truth here when I say that there are prophecy believers who are in Donald Trump's ear. He has intentionally surrounded himself. In fact, I know some of the people in his faith community that are around him right now. And these are people that believe in the end times. They believe in Bible prophecy. And what I've been made to understand, and I believe it, is that Wormwood is on President Donald Trump's mind, uh, at least as a part of his motivation for pushing the space-based agency. Yes. Do you think, Tom, I know this is a hard question, here again in your opinion, are we just going too far? Are we, are we supposed to even be there in space as far as biblically? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so this is very interesting. Of course, in the you know I I point out uh, in the book verses you know uh, if you make your nest among the stars, from thence will I bring thee down. There does seem to be um, something about how God set space as separate from the earth, and right now, especially in our fallen state, man's territory is earth-based. 
where space is more terrestrial to supernaturalism, angels and so on. Um, and so I do think there is, there is a part of that, but there's another part to, to answer your question, are we going too far? Militarizing space can have a supernatural aspect to it. In fact, Jesus made it very clear that Satan, the fallen Lucifer, uh, that he is not only the god of this world, but that there is a territory, the cosmos, as it's talked about in Hebrew texts, uh, and which the Pharisees and scribes uh, believed, that uh, is circumambient. It, it encircles the earth, but the upper atmosphere, uh, the Apostle Paul, as a, as a Reformed uh, Pharisee, said, you know, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Um, and so that does seem to be a territory that God has excluded for himself, for angels, and so on. But there is one other thing about this I would point out quickly, because I know we're getting low on time here. Um, and that is in the mitigation efforts of the Space Force. Um, they are talking about trying to do things that could um, stop Apophis, for instance, in 2029 from impacting the Earth. And one of their ideas that is, it's even been rejected by some of NASA's own astronomers, but one of their ideas is, you know, we're going to send Bruce Willis and his team, and they're going <laughs> to the space with a bunch of nukes, um, and they're going to nuke Apophis and blow it all apart. The problem with it is, and I think this is couched in your question, we might actually create part of what happens in the book of Revelation by messing around in space. How so? By sending up nukes to, first of all, NASA's own astronomers have said it is highly unlikely that we could strike Apophis with nuclear warheads because it is moving so quickly through space uh, that it'd be almost impossible. It'd be like, you know, the, the proverbial uh, uh, pen in a haystack trying to hit something that's, that's moving like that through space. But let's say we could. So you nuke up Apophis with a bunch of nukes. It is so large and its gravitational field is so strong that the scientists say you might blow little bits and pieces off of it, but it's just going to pull itself back together because of its gravitational field being as large as it is. Now what you've done is when it impacts the Earth, and it does exactly what I saw in my vision, where it boils the ocean waters, it creates an aerosol, all of this debris from Apophis is blown up into the upper atmosphere, but now look at what you've done. You've radiated it. And now it's going to rain down nuclear radiation uh, all over the planet. That might even be how uh, a third of the waters and the springs are polluted by the impact of an asteroid that we tried to stop by nuking it and basically radiating it. So we might have actually created part of the problem. Yes, yes. Um, I, I know that you believe that the greatest possibility for Wormwood is the asteroid Apophis. Are there other um, possibilities? Well, yeah, there are. Um, and I do talk about them uh, in the book, uh, Didymus. I, I point out different asteroids uh, that are considered to be NEOs that have the potential for uh, impacting the Earth. Um, and I also point out historic events about what the ramifications of that would be, the Tagunska event, the Chelyabinsk event, things like that. I do talk about all that, but I have to tell you, Donna, 
that I was trying to be uh, fair-minded in the book. I wanted to also talk to those people who did not have my experience. Um, And uh, so I examined other near-Earth asteroids that have the potential to impact the Earth that also have the size and scope to be able to fulfill uh, the uh, Wormwood prophecy, what it says happens. But even though I did all of that, I'm here to tell you that Apophis, unless God intervenes, is going to impact the Earth in just a bit over nine years from right now. And there's some interesting things to know about this. There's a lot of stuff, by the way, that isn't in the book that's on the the CD series that you're giving away, the three-part audio series, why I go into a lot of other details I didn't have time to uh, discuss in the book. So once again, be sure to listen for Sid at the end of the program to find out how you can get Tom Horn's book, The Wormwood Prophecy. Now, just remember also that there's going to be a lot of information in the audio teaching series that is not in the book. So I just can't stress enough that this is an exclusive audio series just for you. So be sure to listen for Sid at the end of the program. Tom, I I want to cover a couple of more things here before we go. Besides being a believer, and when I was talking about the supernatural and the spiritual here, if an astronomer described this or, or told you about Revelation chapter 8, what would they say? Yeah, this is so interesting, and thank you for bringing that up, because um, after I had this vision, it made me start asking all kinds of questions that I had never asked before. Even though I pastored for 25 years, it changed the way that I looked at uh, Scripture. And so um, I got a hold of uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, who is a senior analyst at the Pentagon, a friend of mine. I've published several of his books. Um, and I asked him if he could put me in contact with an impact specialist, which he did. Part of that information is in the book, um, as well as an astronomer at uh, NASA who I asked that very question about, you know, if you looked at Revelation 8, 10, and 11, you know, what would you see? And what I was surprised by was, when he came back to me and he said, well, let's, let's not just talk about 10 and 11. Let's talk about all of Revelation chapter 8 through the eyes of an astronomer. If you are an astronomer and you read this chapter, uh, he said, here is what you would see. First of all, he said, note that these verses in their exact order, so without moving them around, note what they say. Uh, Revelation 8 6 to 7, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees were burned up, and the grass was burned up. End quote. He said, aside from the obvious, you know, parallels to the plague of Exodus, hail and fire, uh, he said, this is exactly what would happen with an incoming uh, asteroid, that you would have this debris that is out, being pushed out ahead of the asteroid that's going to break apart as the asteroid uh, impacts with the atmosphere. And you have these minor meteor or asteroid fragments that are burning that fall to the Earth, and that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to set on fire the forests and the fields and all that. Now he said, pay attention to what the very next two verses say. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which are in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed, end quote, Revelation 8, 8 through 9. So he pointed out immediately following the first trumpet, 
with what appears to be smaller portions of red-hot, fragmented asteroid materials falling uh, down to the Earth, a picture emerges of a large burning mountain. And Donna, that's exactly how I or an ancient would convey seeing a sizable asteroid as it passes through the atmosphere towards the planet, and that's exactly what I saw. It looked like a giant burning mountain. falls down, it impacts the the sea, it kills a third part of the ocean's life, it wipes out ships with tidal activity. Uh, But that appears to be the first part of two larger pieces of a disintegrating asteroid or a binary asteroid. Now, the astronomer told me, he said, observe what happens directly following that. Uh, Revelation 8, 10 through 11 is the part that I based the book on. The third angel sounded, there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of that star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters. So he said the third trumpet details what sounds like either the second gigantic asteroid fragment of something that is burning like a lamp and that comes apart as it enters into the atmosphere, or it's a binary asteroid, as we uh, talked to uh, talked about earlier, and it falls down and it's contaminating a third of the waters. Then he said this, he said, finally, look at what this sequential description in the book of Revelation ends with. Revelation 8, 12, it says, and the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And my scientist friend said, when you read the successive verses in Revelation uh, 8, they literally explain how the different stages of an actual asteroid breaking apart as it enters into the Earth's atmosphere and plunges plunges into the ocean and upon the land, sends this whole sequence, by the way, going to black out much of the light from the heavenly bodies. And in fact, that is exactly what I saw. In your vision, yes. Donna, I, I'm not a scientist. I did not know one thing scientifically. No, nothing. Zero. I'm just literally writing down what I saw. And he came after the fact, and it sent cold chills up my spine. Right. It was describing literally what I had seen in the night vision. And this person was not a pastor. He was not a theologian. He was not someone who was looking at it from a biblical stance. He was an astronomer, a scientist. That, and I had the feeling maybe even an agnostic, just a friend of Colonel McGinnis who agreed, but he mm-hmm. Speak any kind of biblical language. But he described it the exact same way that the Bible describes it and that you saw in your dream. That's exactly right. Exactly what I saw, same way. And again, 25 years as a pastor, I had never one time read the book of Revelation chapter 8 and saw each of the trumpets sounding as a sequence of events of a large asteroid breaking up as it enters into the Earth's atmosphere. But after the fact, I read that, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is literally part by part, bit by bit, each thing that would happen in terms of, in my mind, Apophis striking the Earth. Now, I would like to say, if I can, very quickly. Sure. It was not only literally what I saw, but I had never read, for instance, Luke uh, chapter 21, 25 through 28, the same way as I did after I spoke with him, after I wrote down my vision. But look what Luke 21 says. It says 21, starting at 25, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and that is the Greek word astrons, asteroids. Yes. A modern version would say there's going to be signs in the asteroids, 
and upon the earth distress of nations. That is exactly what I saw. With perplexity, that is exactly what I saw. People everywhere freaking out, panicked, screaming to God. The seas and the waves roaring, that is exactly what I saw. Men's hearts failing them for fear, looking after those things that are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. That is exactly what I saw. But then, look at what it says. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. That verse is so extraordinarily powerful to me now because it literally describes exactly what I saw, and it was the furthest thing from my mind. Furthest thing from my mind, how all of this plays together, signs in the asteroids, distress of nations, the seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, everybody's in a panic, but then, thank God, the sign of the second coming of Jesus Christ appears in a cloud with great glory, and when you see these things beginning, because listen, in around 2025, people everywhere with even modestly commercial telescopes, are going to be able to look into deep space, and they're going to see the asteroid Apophis headed towards the Earth. Within 12 months of Apophis, you're going to be able to look up into the night sky and see it with the naked eye, racing towards Earth. During that period of time, I really honestly believe that people around the world are going to be doing exactly what I saw. People everywhere are going to be crying out, screaming, praying to God, please deliver us from what is coming. And here is why, earlier in this program, and with this I'll quit because I know we're out of time, here is why I say that there is a possibility that it won't happen in 2029. Now, that sounds like a contradiction, because I'm certifying that it is going to happen in 2029, but I'm not God. And God can do something that I can't do. And it, it is discussed in the Scripture. Joel 2, for instance, is 2, 12 through 14 is an example because Joel gives this prophecy, and he talks about all this great devastation, and it's going to come upon the earth. It's going to come against the Jewish nation because of the rejection of the Messiah, all of that stuff. But then look what he says. Therefore also now, this is Joel 2, 12 through 14, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your hearts and with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and may relent. What an amazing statement. Yes. May relent from sending calamity. He may turn and leave behind a blessing instead of the prophesied judgment. What an extraordinary portion of Scripture. And there's examples of this. We don't have time in this program, but the people of Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrians, God sends Jonah and he warns the Ninevites, within 40 days, your country is going to be destroyed unless you repent. But guess what they did? They did exactly what I saw in my vision. Everybody everywhere fell on their face, repented, turned from their evil ways, turned back to God. And guess what happened? God turned back the yes. that was coming against Nineveh. The same thing with the King Hezekiah. God lengthened his life for 15 years after he proclaimed that he was going to die. Right. There is, there is a precedent, and it is scriptural, that if the nations of the world will turn to God, cry out to God, and truly repent, he could, and 
So we don't have time to develop this, Donna, but there is something very extraordinary. One of the astronomers, he's a German astronomer, and he says that Apophis is going to travel through a very, very, very narrow window between Earth and Mars. And if it hits that window just right, he says, it is going to be diverted from the Earth, but exactly seven years to the date later is when it's going to impact the Earth. I'm astonished, and the series of audio CDs contain a ton of this kind of information, including Jewish holy days that seem to be connected to the dating of the arrival of Apophis. There's some stuff in here that's going to blow people's minds. You know, I sent you an email not too long ago when I was finishing up, you know, working on your project here. That's the exact statement that I sent to you. I said, Tom, your book is blowing my mind. (laughs) But you know what? I love the last few minutes that we've been talking here when you're ending on such a wonderfully positive note. And likewise, as you said, God, I'm not God. God can do anything. And then alluded to the fact if he can do anything, he can also undo anything. <laughs> so. Yeah, so think about it. Literally, the threat of Apophis could lead to the greatest revival, the greatest turning of the nations of the world to God. And there's a precedent for that, too. Some save with fear. So that people on the earth, if they are terrified by what is coming, they turn to God. So it leads to a great revival, but then because of their repentance and prayer, God postpones that judgment, which is also has a precedent in Scripture. And I cannot tell you how it's going to turn out. I can only tell you what I saw, and what I saw was it impacted the earth. But is that what could be, or is that what will be? Yes. Those are all in the hands of God. I think that is a wonderful place for us to stop right here. But I also wanted you to pray for the listeners before we leave, Tom. And I love something that you you wrote to me that you said to me. Your hopes for this book, the revelation in this book, is to awaken nonbelievers to their need for Jesus and then to strengthen believers' faith in the imminence of the second coming. So would you pray before we leave? However you want to, but I definitely loved what you said about awaken the non-believers and strengthen the believers. Certainly. Heavenly Father, in the name of your very powerful Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the one to whom we have dedicated our entire lives, in his name and for your glory and for his glory, we ask that the details that we have discussed in this program, that this will have wide results. We pray, God, that this information will reach a host of non-believers as well as believers and awaken us to the eminency, the soon second coming of Jesus Christ. And Father, I just ask that somehow you would take this message Reach those who are in the valley of decision. Awaken them somehow. Awaken their minds. Make them part of the army of believers that can become preachers in these final days, Jew and Gentile, and be part of the answer. The world needs you. The entire world lies in waste, as the Scripture says. We need you so much. So I do pray that this will be at least a small part of reaching this generation with the very powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it 
is the dunamain, the dynamite yes. power that has the ability to convert every soul, both Jew and Gentile. Please, God, use this message, Lord, to reach those who will somehow hear it, that it will be unique to them, and they will somehow hear and understand, Lord, what is being conveyed through the Wormwood prophecies. Do that, Father, we pray in Jesus' powerful and wonderful name. Amen. 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 Tom, my goodness, thank you so much for giving us a lot to think about. I just uh, hope that everyone that's listening today will certainly get this powerful and intriguing, intriguing and informational resource that, that Tom has prepared for you called The Wormwood Prophecy. And now here's Sid Roth to tell you just how you can get it. As you've heard, NASA scientists predict a giant asteroid will enter Earth's atmosphere in 2029, could this be the reason President Trump has set up our new Space Force? Could this be the Revelation 8 Wormwood prophecy? Tom Horn has important information, natural and supernatural, to explain what might be a massive cover-up of end-time proportions. You'll get answers to these questions and so much more in Tom's brand new book and his brand new and exclusive three-part audio teaching series, The Wormwood Prophecy. In this one-of-a-kind resource, Tom includes interviews with government impact specialists, scientists, Bible scholars, and prophecy experts. There is not another work in print that fully examines this ancient prophecy to this extent. You can only get this exclusive package right here, so be sure to order today. It's Tom's brand new book and his brand new and exclusive three-part audio teaching series, The Wormwood Prophecy, for an investment of only 35 U.S. dollars to order Call 1-800-447-2697. Once again, that's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org, S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Be sure to ask for offer number 9675. That's offer number 9675. 